Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back for another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. And we've also got Micah Espinosa with us today. This is the inaugural, I guess inaugural is the right word, um, in our brand new studio. We're still working out some of the kinks, but you'll see that we have a new table and chairs and we're all set up and we're looking super professional now and... Um, Minus the wrinkly curtain behind us that doesn't cover all the side. We're working on that, but whatever. We're working on it. We're working on it. So we want to give a shout out, uh, first of all, to our new executive producer at Voice America, um, Sandra. Sandra is going to be taking care of us from uh, here on out. Uh, We were, uh, we love Tracy uh, Motley, but he, um, he is moving on to greener pastures, which we love to hear, but we just want to give a shout out to them. So I wanted to have a discussion today. And um, with Micah and you, most of our listeners, you know, he's been on our show several times, but he's also our business development person um, for Action 22. So he's working on memberships and all of that. Um, And then uh, we're going to give you a report on some of the other projects that we're moving forward with and what we are um, and some of the things that we're wrapping up with, uh, because we um, we no longer to subscribe to the school of pontification in perpetuity. Thanks That's to right. Micah's um, language on that one. I was having a conversation with uh, a few people after we did, I did the forum um, a few weeks ago. So this was the forum with uh, um, the league of women voters, the league of women voters, and they did a primary candidate forum. And so all five candidates from both the Democrat and the Republican party came on for the third congressional district. Thank you for the third congressional mm-hmm. district. It wasn't yet the third congressional Everybody. district, which is of course in the action 22 footprint. So we have a vested interest in how that all goes. And they asked if we could, um, if we could, uh, if I could, moderate that forum. So the League of Women Voters, we all, we love them. These are really very civic minded women who for, I don't know how long they've been around, like 800 years, since, since the 800 years, 800 since years the or country. so, since before They're the country, they were, they were, I think things <laughs> long before women were allowed to vote. We I'm had the League it. of Women Voters. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Probably 800 a bit less years. than 800. Maybe. I'm going to take the under less. on that. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, there must have oh, been. they started February 14th of 1920. Ah. So when did when did women get the right to vote? 1920. Like, 1920. Yeah. So it was like right before that. Yeah. The the According to Wikipedia, the League of <laughs> Women Voters is a nonprofit organization in the United States that was formed to help women take a larger role in public affairs after they won the right to vote. Was founded in 1920 to support the new women's suffrage rights and was a merger of the National Council of Women Voters, founded by Emma Smith DeVoe, and National American Women's Suffrage Association, led by Carrie Chapman Catt, approximately six months before the 19th Amendment to the United States Constitution gave 
women the right to vote. And there you go. So I'll tell you, this League of Women Voters and and Ruth Nuremberger, who is a wonderful Action 22 member, she comes to all of our events. She's really well engaged. She reads everything we send out. She comments on every post. She's very, uh, very engaged, and we we adore her. Um, And these women were amazing that we worked with, and they're – they're, let's say they're very detail-oriented. So they went through every possible scenario. We did several practices. It was, you know, we kind of make it up as we go around here. We're kind of flying by the seat of our pants all the time. These these women were not doing that. So they they set it up so that the the league, and well, we sent it out to everybody that you could submit questions, and they had over 100 questions submitted. And it wasn't a debate. It was a forum, correct? It correct. It was everybody had correct. a chance right. to answer questions. Right. Okay. So, um, and Micah was here. You were on vacation, and Micah yep. was here helping me with it because it's kind of a lot to manage, especially on Zoom, where you just never know if there's going to be a glitch or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to, to run it really, a really tight ship on it, uh, just kind of in honor of, of the, of the league. Um, so we, I got the list of questions, um, a, a couple days ahead. There were four questions that were sent to the, um, that were sent to the candidates. And I think you can still watch it on the league's, um, website, uh, and on Facebook as well. But, uh, they, you know, they have these questions and then they had questions that the candidates didn't receive. Well, I saw the list of questions they whittled it down to. They had removed some that were, um, maybe duplicates or if they were, you know, attacks on a candidate and all of the due diligence that they do with that. As I was reading the, through the questions, um, it struck me that the things that our members and our folks talk to us about all the time weren't really on there except for water. Um, now, we do a deep dive on water, on policy, on all of those things. And so I kind of, and then somebody said something to me afterwards about that there weren't some of those questions that they expected to see. And that. Um, so, what kind of questions? Like the. The attack questions or the controversial questions? Is that what they were? No, no. They were, no, the question was, why didn't we talk more about water? Why didn't we talk more about ag? Why didn't we talk more about um, the economy? That was the big one. I thought for sure we're going to be talking about inflation, the price of gas, and what that's going to, how that's going to affect seniors, all the things that we think about. And they did talk about Social Security, I think, was it, or is it Medicaid? Medicare, they something. Briefly talk about Medicaid, Medicaid. Um, something, but it wasn't the mm-hmm. things that we hear about constantly. So the person who pointed it out, who's a member and and who's on our board and and so forth, said um, that they felt that we had a resp- I had a responsibility to follow up and talk about some of those things that didn't get talked about that night. Mm-hmm. Um, both from the perspective that um, you have to wonder, especially. Um, during an election year, why some of these things weren't aren't talked about more, and then maybe it'll help to signal to the people who are running for office what matters most um, to us when we're having genuine conversations. So I'm curious what you tell what you've been telling people since that forum, because obviously when people ask you, you have kind of an answer for them. <laughs> I want to know what you have been telling people, and I'm sure it varies out in this audience as well. But yeah, so it's a great question. I. I've been telling people that 
I've been using a cop-out, that they weren't questions that were submitted that I had nothing to do with the questions, actually, that it was, um, these were questions that were submitted. And so I don't, I don't understand why the things that people are talking to us about aren't the things that they want to ask of candidates. I guess that's maybe why I wanted to talk about this today, because I don't understand. So we hear the same sort of themes over and over again. Um, and by the way, the the last episode that we did with James Eklund on water was so good. I thought for sure everybody's talking about water. Everybody's going to be talking about the economy. Every but that's not they. We can't seem to get off wedge issues, like the issues that aren't really affecting us in our homes and our kitchens and our our particular pocketbooks. But we can't stop talking about them. So, do so people default to those questions, like, oh, it's election time. We got to talk about the wedge issues. I don't know, Brian. Right? <laughs> you're, so, you've Atlanta, been doing yeah. this for such a long time. So the stuff that the stuff that we talk about to people that are concerned that Action Twenty Two does or politically involved people do, unfortunately, only the people that are involved know about these issues or care about these issues. But you know, the now with the average person on the street, it's like gas prices. Like that's the number one safety and gas prices and the economy and stuff. Mm. But the majority of, of voters that watch uh, a forum, and, and it's important to say that, you know, uh, there's nothing to be learned from a forum or a debate. You'll get some people that tune in that just say, hey, I want to see what these candidates are about. But for the most part, a debate or even a forum to a point is just to get stuff caught on camera, right? It's to get somebody to say something to use in a commercial against them or somebody to say something to use in a commercial mm-hmm. for them. So you're not changing like that. That's the mistake about a, a debate. You're not changing the minds of the candidates. It's just there to get clips, sound bites. Really, politically, it is. Uh, now there could be some people that tune in because, like, oh, I want to see what these people are about. I haven't heard from them and see. And that's where a forum is kind of a little bit better because it's it's more um, civil, I guess you would say. So it's not back and forth yelling at each other as much, or you know, as, as we watch on the last presidential debates. Um, but for the most part that the average voter, the average citizen or person, you know, they, they are not aware of issues with water. They're not aware of, you know, ag issues. They, they don't know about these things. Um, and and nor do they have the time that that's the problem. You say, you you tell people that, or I've heard the saying that, you know, we need an an informed voter, but to be informed on all these issues, you got to spend a lot of time on it. You know, we spend our 40 hours a week working on issues and we still don't know enough about it or know about all of them. So to ask the average person who's working a job, maybe two jobs has kids in their life, you know, they're, they're not going to be as informed because they just don't have the time or resources to spend on looking up these issues and researching it. So, so that's where you get a lot of the, like, why didn't you ask this question? Like, well, why didn't you ask, like ask about their tax returns or something like that? That's what the the normal people kind of, that's what's in their mind when they see candidates. But I would like to see forums and even debates like specifically around these issues. Like what if you had a debate on water in Colorado, like an hour long debate between the candidates on just water mm-hmm. or just the economy and like, okay, here's the deal. Like the economy's broken. How are we going to fix it? Here's an hour ago. And then back and forth. But again, debates, forums, public spaces where you see candidates talk and argue with each other. The primary reason for those that they agree to go to them is just for sound bites on their opponent or themselves to use in a 
a hit piece or a mailer or a commercial or anything like that. And you'll see it, you know, you, you always see it like in 2017, so-and-so said these words at a debate, right? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. That's my soapbox. Well, I think it is a lot of just like the under-informed stuff. Cause yesterday, the day before I saw a thread on social media where someone was t- talking about Lake Powell mm-hmm. and like how Lake Powell changed. And someone said, well, what's going on Lake Powell? And the response. And so, to us, we say Lake Powell, and it like triggers a whole bunch of yeah, water yeah. issues. The response was, "Well, they found a bunch of dead bodies, so just regular Vegas stuff." Yeah, yeah. that was the re- that's what's going on in Lake Powell. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! A candidate that no, was a no, candidate no, response. No, no, no. Oh, this, oh, this oh. was your oh. informed voter. Oh, yeah. my informed yeah. voter. Okay, yeah. okay. So it's it's a lot to ask. What you're both of you are saying, it's a lot to ask um, them to to think about the same questions that yeah, I would yeah. think about. Right. But but also to be fair, the League of Women Voters and a lot of these organizations and some are political, some are, you know, on the right or left or whatever, um, they'll put out kind of like the Colorado Blue Book, you know, it, it goes through and explains each issue that's on the ballot, the positives, the negatives, and then the the pro people like why this is good and why this is bad. So it's really good to see organizations like the League of Women Voters that take the time to research some of this stuff so you can get it in the hand. So I don't have time to research all these policies. Let me go to this guide or guides. And it says, oh, this candidate believes this and this is their stance on this, but they're against this or, you know, whatever. So that's why this is the the forum that you hosted was is important because it adds more information for them to get out and disperse. They could, they have the time to do the research. We have the time to do the research. You know, if somebody comes up and asks action 22 about a bill, like a water bill, we could sit there and be like, okay, here's the deal. Like, this is what it'll do. This is what it won't do. And this is why we were in favor of it or, you know, whatever. But here's all, here's all the information on it. So make your own informed decision from that. And then that person doesn't have to spend like, 78 hours researching the history of water law in Colorado or something. So are you saying we're resident experts on some of these issues? We are absolutely not experts. We know know more than most on a lot of the issues. I don't think anybody's an expert on it. Even the people that write these experts are experts. I don't even know if James Eklund would call himself a water expert and he's one of the top water people in the country. So we are informed and James Eklund is very informed on water. Yes. Very informed on these issues. So, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like, what, what's the term, like hubris claiming to be an expert on something or something like <laughs> we that. We love that word, yeah. hubris. So I'm sitting there and I was thinking about some of the questions that were asked and some of the questions I wished we were asked. And I've done a couple of these forums now, and I always sit there and think, I wish they would at, just sit down. If somebody would sit down with the three of us and ask us these questions and how, cause we're so solutions driven, like everything, like how do we solve this? How do we figure this out? How do we, how do we, how do we, um, rather that that's just our approach on things. Um, with a, with a little touch of hubris and that we would be able to figure any of it out. But, um, so I wanted first to ask you like in the last week or two. So as you're talking to new members, prospective mm-hmm. members, and as you're talking to your veterans community for all of those, um, I wanted to see first if the 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 lens, I don't know what it is, the filter through which I'm hearing some of these things is the same as you guys. So what's the number one thing that you're hearing from on members, from members? Like what are their big concerns right now? The biggest concern still for members is is that network. I think having having people in the rural areas and urban areas who are communicating, knowing who to communicate with 
knowing how to bridge some of those some of those existing I don't know barriers to communication they've had or just rebuilding those relationships. Yeah. So people come to us a lot to help guide them in who they need to be. No, that's really with. true. That's really true. And that works both ways. That's urban people coming wanting to connect better with rural, which and is happening ways, yeah. a lot, but rural trying to have their voice heard in an urban space. So that's an, so it's an interesting, this is, that's an interesting time to be constantly bringing that up during an election year. So I'll let everybody kind of met. Yeah. yeah. Well, not, do you know think, what I mean? Well, yeah. And that's cause I mean, for, you know, however many years action 22 has made a name for itself on being able to be a voice for rural Colorado being a, you know, to speak on behalf of some rural Colorado residents and the last couple of years, especially last year, especially, uh, we've had a lot of bigger corporations and, and, you know, urban based groups coming to us to say, how do we bridge that gap back to our, so how are we, how are we a voice in our rural communities? It's gone the other way. Yeah. Or we know we need to be more present in those rural communities. Right. Like we work with healthcare and stuff that say, we need to build that, that bench more. How do we do that? And they're coming to us asking for that help. Yeah. For sure. What about you? Uh, it's the same. I think um, piggybacking off of what Micah said, it's like there's a shift to the rural because the larger cities, the Denver's, Colorado Springs, Boulder's, are there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to build. It's uh, very expensive. As we saw with COVID, people can work from home. So why would I want to work in Denver when I'm working from home and I could go out east and live somewhere much cheaper, more relaxed? So it's that it's um, a few groups that are members of action 22 are kind of like their attitude is like, you know, I'm like, what can we do for you? You know, what do you need help with? And they're like, nothing. We just need to go to events and go network in the rural areas. Mm-hmm. Like that's their big thing. And then there's, I won't name any names, but there's a couple that's like, Hey, when's your next thing in Trinidad? Mm-hmm. When's your next thing in Pueblo? When's your next thing in, you know, Alamosa, we need to get down there because we're disconnected with this and what we do impacts these areas. And you're, you're going to see too, and we see it in Pueblo, the, um, a lot of industries moving out to the rural areas because there's opportunity to expand at a lower price than expanding in the Denver's or the, the metro areas. Um, but at the same time, you know, dealing with some of these healthcare groups, these veteran groups and everything, it's like, you know, we need help. Like the rural still needs a lot of help because they're underserved medically. The, you know, we've talked about on the show a million times, but the the possibility of these small veterans clinics, these CBOX, I think they call them clinics now. I don't think they call them CBOX. So CBOX is community-based outpatient care. Um, now they just call them a veterans clinic. Um, you know, there, there's possibility that these are shutting down and some of these urban areas are like freaking out over it. And then also like all these doctors and nurses are retiring because for the most part, these areas don't attract the younger group of physicians or healthcare workers. And and that's scary for these rural areas right now. Um, you know, a lot of the people there can't drive to Pueblo for a medical appointment. Um, so that, that's some of the concerns, but you know, on the flip side, we are seeing that, um, some of the, the larger, even in healthcare, they're asking us, how can they get into this market in the the rural side because they they see that rural is expanding and I think it's going to continue to expand in certain areas. I think some areas and some towns are slowly going away and unfortunately we're seeing that in some areas in ours, but in others we're seeing growth like Fremont County, you know, they, they're going to, the paperwork's in to get their own veterans clinic and that's based off a population of veterans. And if you have 
the veteran population growing, you know the regular population is growing as well. So mm-hmm. there's counties that are actually increasing. Um, I think Penrose is another one. Um, there, there's areas like even Westcliff, you know, where there's people actively looking to move there. There's just nowhere to move right now, and right. They, they have some issues. But then you go towards like the out east to some of the towns, and you see people moving away from those areas. So. Well, and we're hearing, I think, from a lot of, um, and these are members too, but uh, they know it's it's some of this growth is going to happen um, in some of these areas. And so that's, I think, maybe um, that concern with the water and how do we do this growth? How do we, how do we do this in a way that's sustainable and manageable? Cause that's, you know, now that you say that I'm thinking back to phone calls that I've had even the last week or two where we've had um, a member who said, um, I need to know, we we're looking at doing this. We don't know what the pitfalls are. Who, um, who can you connect me with that, um, that could help us kind of navigate this because, and it's a growth issue for their community. So, um, no, what you're saying is exactly, is exactly true. But again, I'm not hearing candidates talking about that. I'm not hearing, and and maybe it's because the question hasn't been posed to them, or maybe that's, you know, they're just trying to get through an election. So you have yeah. to play the game to get to that place. Right. But I'd, I would love to hear them talk about some of the things that we hear about all the time. Well, and outside of what Brian was saying, where we have someone, we actually have a debate based on water issues in Colorado for an hour. Is there, do you see another way to get those questions answered in a reasonable way? No, because... Generally, when you have a candidate run for office, and this goes to the state, local, and federal level, you know, that one practice they always say is, like, pick three issues to go on. And usually those three issues, you got to be able to explain them in a minute, in less than a minute. So it's like, hey, I care about water, I care about the economy, and I care about safety. Or, you know, you'll see schools, they'll say education, school choice. We need to bring school choice back, number one. Number two is safety. You know, we have a lot of crime. We need to fix that. We need to be tough on crime. It's like. Okay, that's more complicated than that. And then, you know, water. Colorado's water is Colorado's water, and I don't know why we're shipping it to California. Mm -hmm. Those are the type of things you're going to hear when it comes to the issues. Now, when you get one-on-one with a candidate, um, that's when they can dive into it. And um, I've told a few people that because they were complaining about, like, hey, this this guy or this girl only says these things. Like, I want to know how they actually feel on this. And I'm like, okay, so that's when you go to like a, a fundraiser or a meet and greet with the candidate and you engage them and you talk to them for 10, 15 minutes about this to see if they really understand it and if they do have a solution. Uh, we're going to see this all over. It's going to be, um, especially on the federal and statewide candidates, it's going to be like, well, you know, our education system is broke because they always say that. Our, it used to be our healthcare system is broke. And then again, they're going to say like, we, you know, crime, like there's more violent crime or there's too many guns or there's not enough guns. You're just going to hear that with no solutions in it because they're just saying these things to get your vote. So you can somewhat connect like, you know what? I'm pissed off about crime. It is our water. Why are we sending it to California? And you know what? Education does suck right now. They need to do something different. I'm going to vote for them. So maybe that's what drives me crazy a little bit is that, again, I'm always like, what solution? What's your, how do we fix this? I ask both of you this question 15 times a day. How do we, how do we do this? What's the right way to do this? Why is it this way? Um, I'm, and maybe I'm, 
Well, there's no maybe about it. I'm a little bizarre in my thinking, but that's the kind of thing I really want to know. So why don't candidates talk solutions? You got to elect them into office to see the solutions. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, they, you know, it's politicking. It's, <laughs> I don't know. Tough, I mean, it's tough to convey because th- these problems have very complicated and complex solutions. So it, it's tough to convey that when you have 30 seconds, even in the debates, even, you know, the presidential debates, you have what, two minutes, they go like two minutes to one minute and then, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's tough. It, it is really tough if you have a good solution to explain it. And, you know, go back to um, one example for like a presidential race was when Bernie Sanders was in the the primary. It was interesting because when he when he spoke, he really tried to talk about solutions and had these ideas, whether you agree with them or not. And he just got lost like in it, you know, it, it was, he would say, no, we're going to do this. We're going to tax these people. It's going to pay for this. And he'd try to get it all in, in two minutes. And the next person would be like, no, we need to cut taxes. Uh, applause. Or no, we need to raise taxes on the rich. Applause. And, and Bernie was really trying to say, this is how we can do it in this way that makes sense. But after 30 seconds, you lose everybody trying to go through the solution. Right. And again, this is just for talking points. So, so it's like we want, we're going to, um, we're going to hire somebody to go up and to represent us. This is what we're doing. We're, we're talking about hiring them to represent us. Um, but we're asking the interview to be reduced to um, a pool of interviewees and you have two minutes to convince me that I should hire you to represent me on the federal level. It's like speed dating. <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. It's like speed dating. But, but then the idea, too. That's is, great. You know, that's reassuring. That, that's kind of why I like it. Um, Works out, usually. On, on the, con, the House side in Congress, it's like their, their terms are only two years. Like They run in their uh, free election every two years. And kind of the idea with that is so you can see if they have solutions that work in those first two years and if they don't, get rid of them. Senators, you know, six years, they have a little more time. But if you notice senators, when they start campaigning, they really dive into it more. And on the House side, it's more about talking points and getting people fired up. Because once you're in the House side, like you have two years. So like the day after you get elected, you know, you're campaigning for the next one. So you really have to show some results or you know, connect with the people that elected you that they like you or you're out in two years. Um, Senate side, again, a little safer and they could do a little bit more and have a, a record that they could stand on on their next election, which makes it hard for an opponent to come in against a senator. If the senator's done good and has a decent record of passing legislation, uh, it's hard to argue that, especially if you don't have a voting record or if you have a different type of voting record on in your background. So, but then again, if a senator screws it up for six years, it's really easy to say, like, look at what they did in six years. Right. They're out. So that's that's a little more interesting. Um, locally, though, you know, county commissioners, I would say if you want to do the most for your community and see results the fastest, it's a county commissioner because they can mm-hmm. do something and you're legitimately impacted right away. And, and also, and I've said this on the show a million times, you see your county commissioners at the grocery store, you see your state reps at the grocery store, like they have to answer to you face to face. So they may not be talking about the solutions as much as in a debate, um, but there's more accountability on a local level where you can see if they're actually implementing solutions to these problems they said they were going to address. Well, and it's easier. I mean, we're we're really blessed. We have relationships with local government and then all the way up 
um, all the way up. We can, there's somebody that we can tap into from, yeah. from, um, from, uh, Canales County all the way up to DC. Yeah. I mean that, but that's not everybody. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like really yeah. rare. And we, I don't think that we take it for granted, but I think it's something that we just operate with constantly knowing that when something happens, we can ask the questions or we can call up and say who it is that we need to talk to or connect somebody with the right person um, in a big hurry. Which Um, ties into why it's so important to be a member of Action 22 or similar organization because we are your resource when you join. And that's where we can get into the weeds for you for the organization of which you're a member. And again, tying it back to like joining action 22, that's why it's so critical and why these people do join action 22, because again, they don't have the time to research this. They don't know the people, they don't have the connections we do. And as part of action 22, we can get those answers and and get those, um, I want to say solutions that they're working on straight from the horse's mouth to the person. Right. So let's do, let's do this a little bit. Um, just really quick, Brian, how long does it take somebody who, from the time that they're elected to Congress, how long do you think it takes them to figure out the job? Uh, like maybe 40 years. No, I'm just I, kidding. I say <laughs> one year, 364 days. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a learning curve the first six months, at least on the federal level. Um, it's six months before you kind of get into your groove and figure out what you're doing. Um, the house, you want to try to rush it a little more since you only have that two years, but even then it's six months. It's one thing when people get mad at like presidential appointments, right? Um, and it's brought up on both sides. It's like, they waited two years to appoint this position. I'm like, well, it is a process. Yeah. Uh, as we're seeing Sheriff Taylor here in Pueblo just got appointed to be the U S marshal here in Colorado. Um, you know, that took, that's two years into the presidency almost. It takes a while to get this. And that's another thing, you know, when, when people get elected and they're new to it, a lot of times their campaign staff follows them. And then it takes about three or four months to realize that it's not a campaign and it's a completely different animal. And you see staff turnover. Same thing with the presidents. You know, everybody's like, oh, I can't believe their staff quit right away. And, you know, both from the last president to the current administration, it's like, well, people get jobs and maybe that's not right for them. And it takes a while to, to kind of lock it in. So, you know, six months is a good learning curve for anybody starting in January, not from when they get elected in November, but you know, by May or June, you'll finally start to see a little smoother operation going in a congressional office on the house and Senate side. Um, Senate has the benefit of time so that they may be a little longer and a little more choosy in who they hire and set stuff up. But the house side, it's about six months. Okay. So, we're not exactly setting these guys up for success. So if you're hiring somebody, you're, you want somebody that's going to be a good fit, but then you want to give them all the tools that they could possibly have um, in order to do the job right and to make the right decisions. You, there's a certain amount of, um, well, there's onboarding that's done by an employee or it's done by an employer for an employee. And we don't necessarily do that with people that we put into office. Um, so, and we actually have candidates 
not just candidates, but legislators a lot will call us up and ask us, okay, what about this? Or how this happens all the time. We don't, it used to, I used to kind of go, huh, about it, but now I'm glad that they'll, the ones that will stop and ask questions instead of just pushing forward on an agenda are the ones that, that really um, are value added to their job um, as a legislator or representative for us. So here's what I wanted to do with the two of you. I wanted to talk about some of the issues and neither one of you are going to run for office. No. Nope. <laughs> We're not running for office, but I thought running, maybe you better run too. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm running, something's chasing me. Um, if the, I wanted to just sort of go through some of these issues. I wanted to hear from you guys. Cause you guys are constantly doing research, constantly looking at this. Cause I keep posing these questions. What, what we, sh- what should we do? How should we address this? Um, so I wanted to hear from you guys and maybe that we can give a little bit of a glimpse from and be that connector on some of these issues for just a second. So put your thinking caps on for a second. I'm going to ask you on public safety, what do you think if you were, if somebody was like to give you the office tomorrow of county commissioner um, or representative state legislature, like just imagine if somebody were like to Somebody dies and you have to be, do the job. What would be the first thing you would do on what's the first solution you'd pursue on public safety? So, Micah, you first. Brian, you next. I want to hear what you guys have to say on this. My first solution would be to name Sarah Blackhurst the new <laughs> county commissioner. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, for public safety? Sure. Okay. No, public safety, I think, is more Brian's department. I, I think so, I, I always punt those to Brian those, anyway. Yeah. Those get punted to Brian. Brian, what's, a, what's the first thing that needs to happen back in. <laughs> to improve public safety? I have no idea. Um, I think that's a tough question. I've heard a lot of answers on it from candidates and experts in the field. Um, always there's a, anything, education, safety, it's, it's a funding issue. There's never enough money which I think that you need to take a very strong look at the funding for public safety, whether it's like audit a police department, sheriff's department, um, even education to see like where the money is actually going and why, where there's a gap in it and why that is, um, you know, with police, I think it's, it's literally a training issue in a lot of these it's increased training, maybe a stringent hiring process, but at the same time, nobody's applying to be a police officer. So you got to figure out why that is. And part of that could be that the job's not appealing right now. So how can we change that culture around? But, um, you know, that, that again, that's a complicated one because you could get into the homelessness and, um, you know, the district attorney Chosner here, he's working on some ideas because we do have a homeless problem, but at the same time, there's like 30 different solutions to it and none of them, think the other one's right. Like right. They're, each solution is the best. Kind of goes back to defund the police. It's like, this is a great idea. And then it turned out not to be such a great idea in the areas where they did it. Um, I never said it was a great I, idea. Uh, yeah. As soon uh, as we heard that, we're like, what are you on? That was yeah. my very first thought when I heard that. But I, I, th- I think that the training needs to change in law enforcement mm-hmm. and really look at how they're in the public. Um, I was somewhere two weeks ago and the police said, well, nobody's working right now. Like there's multiple areas in Colorado where there's no police on duty at certain times at night. That's a problem right there. Um, but again, this can be said across the board for healthcare. There's not enough doctors. There's mm-hmm. not enough funding, you know, education. They don't pay teachers enough. There's not enough teachers. The hiring process is not stringent enough. 
So, well, in public safety, like you've kind of alluded to it, it's such a nebulous thing. So, I mean, the first order of business is defining what we're talking about with public safety. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, like I said, I mean, you, you touched on schools, you touched on healthcare, you touched on police force. I mean, those are all, in most regards, separate issues, but they overlap in this one regard. Well, among other regards. But um, so, I mean, the first thing is d- defining it. And then, yeah, you get into that same thing. I was before you, as you were talking about healthcare. Um, EMS is another big issue where there's parts of the state where you're hours away from any kind of medical help if you need it in an emergency, you know, and they, and they, there's suggestions of how to fix that. But then again, you get back to funding, you get back to workforce development, you get back to people who don't, I mean, people don't want to be, you know, risking their lives when they could be flipping burgers for the same, for the same, for the same income. Yeah. Cause what is a, what does an EMT get? Not even, yeah, an EMT, like, basic on an ambulance. What do they get paid now? Like, 14 bucks I, I, I would say you'd be, you'd be generous at 15 Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, and that's gone up. When I when I first got mine, it was like, you're lucky to let, get 11 Yeah. yeah. And, and even with police, you know, some of these rural communities, their sheriffs get paid, like, 27000 a year. Yeah. Um, oh and a lot of people take those jobs to move to Pueblo to get paid more, or to Springs or Denver. Right. Which is another which problem, is part too. part of the problem, yeah. yeah. So workforce, that's a big one. Well, I don't know what the solutions are on that. And by the way, if you're wondering, I don't have any solutions. I just have, I just know the people who will have the solutions. I surround myself with smarter people than I am, people who are more of an expert in whatever, who are really um, just dialed in on, on any of these issues. I, I don't know the solutions to any of them. Um, so first what you do is you inst- institute a statewide curfew of 8 p.m. <laughs> 8 p.m. till 7 in the morning. Nobody could come out of their house. We activate the National Guard and military to come in and stand on a street corner. This feels like COVID. And we're yeah, publicly yeah, safe. Yeah, and now we're publicly yeah, safe. And now we're safe. That's that's the point. Like, And, and that's um, some of these arguments, too. It's like, how far do you take it? Because there has to be some risk you know you can't be safe all the time and free look at covid and there's it's still going on in some countries and states where you know that's their idea of public safety and that's not the idea of public safety here in america at least most of america no it's not so i was at sam's club I don't often cry when I leave Sam's Club, but this particular day I cried when leaving Sam's Club. Bought too much stuff. She always Bought cries TV, leaving Sam's Club. <laughs> My 15th trip to Sam's Club that month. Only when she's asked to leave. <laughs> and I cry. Um, I'm standing there and I'm sort of calculating in my head, you know, how you do, how much is in the basket. Because I don't... I. I don't get very good signal in Sam's Club, so I don't sit there and do the shopping on the phone while I'm doing that. Like, they have that. That's pretty cool. But I was looking around thinking, okay, it's going to cost this much. And a part of it was um, because we live in rural communities, we, we buy in bulk. Um, we don't go to the, run to the store every day for all of our groceries. And I had noticed that the usual thing that I get of butter um, had nearly doubled in price. So it used to be around $8. So now four pounds of butter was $16 or something like that. And I'm just like, and I'm thinking about mom and how she's like, I'm thinking about seniors and how they're going to deal with inflation and all of these things. How, how do we fill the gaps on that? And um, then I started looking around and at Sam's club um 
nobody's, you know, there's no, there's no subsidized groceries at Sam's club. Right. And everybody's shopping cart was empty and everybody's shopping cart was nearly empty. Or I was looking around first. I started looking around to see, you know, who had non-essentials because there's a lot of non-essentials at Sam's club. Yeah, nobody. Um, and I thought, I wonder how many people just had the same thought I had, how many grocery, how many trips to Sam's club am I away from dipping into savings yep. at Sam's club? So this was like two days before this forum. And then, so I thought, oh, for sure, everybody's going to be talking about inflation and gas prices and why, how are we going to get through everything costing so much? And it didn't come up. Didn't, no, didn't come up. Nope. So first I'm going to ask why each of you, so first, why do you think, each of you think that this is not the number one thing that we're talking about. We don't hear about this. This is not the number one thing you hear on media. This is not the number one thing. Now, when we're talking to people, this is the number one thing they're talking about. But why isn't it that anybody who's in a representative or decision-making position talking about this? There's the really cynical aspect of it is, one, it's politics. And like Brian was saying, there's kind of that rule of three where you have three main topics you can speak to. You focus on those. And those three topics are blanket topics. Like we said, like with public safety, you can take that any direction you want based on whatever audience is in front of you. When you really narrow in on like certain things like Sam's club, like that's, that starts to get into like really a little, a lot more personal stuff where these candidates aren't even in there. So it doesn't make sense to ask them that on that forum. It just, it's a waste of a question in that regard. And I know how they would answer if you asked them that. And that's the other part of it. Yeah. All right. What would they answer? Because they would say, well, because the Democrats are in charge, vote Republican and we'll fix this. And the Republicans or the Democrats will say, like, look, we're fixing the economy. This is the fault of the Republicans because everybody's concerned about the economy and the cost of gas and groceries and stuff. But if you look at the politicians in office now, all they're doing is blaming the other side. They're, they're saying this is because of this or it's because of Putin like that one right. was going around, but people aren't really buying that. And if you right. look at some of the, the return, the polling on uh, like Democrats nationally right now, um, they're not doing too well in Colorado. They are like in Colorado, the, uh, the recent poll I saw, it's, you know, it's still, it's still leaning towards the Democrat side a bit on statewide races, but nationally um, you have the news media, like calling him out, like you have CNN calling out the president now, which is like, well, we're used to that from the last yeah. president, but, right. but they're starting to say like, you can't blame this on the other guy, or you can't blame this on the war in the Ukraine or Putin or whatever. Like we need to hear some solutions and, and we're not hearing that right now. I think we will. Also, this is a primary right now. So everybody's going to be the like, ah, like the red meat stuff just to get through the primary. And then I think after the primary at the end of this month in Colorado, you're going to see these solutions be presented more and more. Cause I know some of the candidates have them um, really interestingly enough. And um, we should talk about what we did after this and wrap it up because we have a second part of the show and my battery on my computer is running out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, anyway. So I, I saw today, that due to the the war in the Ukraine and Russia, like closing markets down to Europe, that you have all these European countries shifting back to coal for power. Nice. Yeah. Oh, wow. So Europe is, I, I think it was like Germany, like all these like right. decent, like green energy countries in Europe are now going back to coal-fired power. Well, they have to, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, they to. don't have an option. Well, yeah, because yeah. Russia's cutting off natural gas and everything. So, yeah. do, so do they have 
um, so they shut down that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. How much, what's it going to take to turn it back on? I guess that infrastructure for that. Um, I'm looking it up right now. I just saw it when I woke up. European countries going back to coal. I think turning it back on is probably not really the problem. It's all the issues you have to get yeah. to, to bureaucratically decide who gets to flip the switch. Oh, yeah, it's like, oh hey, my gosh. The EU warns of fossil fuel backsliding as countries turn to coal. Europe may shift back to coal as Russia turns down gas flows. Yeah. Um, Russia is squeezing Europe's gas supply, sparking a bitter, reluctant return to coal. So that begs the question, what should we as the United States be doing? And what should we be turning on? We're going to leave that. I know you're going with that. that, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just saying somebody's, he doesn't have enough battery for it. Okay. Yes. So um, Sarah's got solutions. Last last week. I know what needs to be done. (laughs) So, so so last week uh, we took a trip down to Alamosa into the Valley to uh, basically distribute laptops to people. Oh, this is so cool. Okay. Give give us the background, sir. Really? I'm going to do it really quick because your battery's dying. Yeah. Um, And we we have an interview with uh, Guillermo after this that we'll put on to. Oh yeah. To talk about a little bit more. So let me just tell you really quickly then. Um, we were hired to go down and um, bridge the digital gap through a digital equity lens. When we started this, however many months ago, we did not know what digital equity meant. We didn't know what that meant. Nobody else really did either. But we just knew that there was something that could be done. And so in our usual way, we sat down and we asked a lot of questions. We talked to, I don't know, how many people have you talked to during this project? Like over 300? Yeah, over 300. And you have two minutes. (laughs) Okay. Um, over 300 and, um, we came up with a really cool solution. Basically we can, um, address this issue almost immediately at bridging that digital gap through an equity lens, um, by providing, uh, broadband and by providing computers. So Guillermo is going to talk a little bit about that. So, and our video is done, but we could still talk. I'll, I'll, it just won't have video on this part. So apologize for the next minute where you're going video list. Okay. So for the next minute, we're going video list. You can see that, um, uh, if you're really interested and you're watching this video, then just go to, um, listen to the podcast. So the, we started the distribution for that. Um, if you're interested, if you're in the San Luis Valley and you're interested in that, we have a team of, um, community Champions. Champions, Champions, thank you. Community champions who are going to help us distribute those. There's 200 of them. Um, Email us at givingitaction22.org. Yes, on that? Yep, email us there, and I will connect you with the community champion of choice. Of choice on that. So here's the other thing um, that we have a board meeting this week, and so we're going to get this, um, the the final go-ahead from our board on how to proceed with our and it, it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about today, um, but really helping to educate, build a deeper bench, um, do all of those really great things. Um, we're going to start the Academy. We've talked about it on the show a few times. We've had a number of our listeners reach out to us that they want to be involved in, in doing that. Um, it's basically this. It's going to be three parts. Um, it's it's a three-legged stool. It's going to be governance, um, which Brian will oversee the governance policy by me and Micah will oversee the leadership part of that. And it's, uh, it'll be project based and it'll be all about how 
to make all of these things work. Um, these are really tough issues. We don't have solutions for these issues. We, we wish we knew, um, but that doesn't mean that we can stand on the sidelines and just do nothing. Um, we can work through and figure out uh, on all of these things, on workforce, on housing, on water, on um, the economy, helping the economies in rural communities thrive, bridging the gap between um, urban and rural, really connecting urban and rural to do all of these things because everybody who's in it knows that we're going to have to come up with these solutions together. And it's, we're very capable of it, but there's a lot of background knowledge that you need to do to move forward with that. Yeah. Um, so, well, and I think, I mean, we've, we, every topic we've discussed today, we kind of have crept around the same solution is one, there's not a single solution for any of these things. All of them are multi-layered, multifaceted. And so the only way to ever reach a solution, like, I mean, going back to how would you fix this if you were elected tomorrow, it's going to take collaboration. We've seen that some of our favorite, favorite politicians, policymakers, community leaders are the ones who do want that collaboration. But it's because the reality is you're not going to get all the information you need to make a good decision unless you talk to a lot of people, a lot of other experts in that field and related fields and overlapping fields. (laughs) It's going to take all that collaboration to moving this forward because yeah, when you say public safety, you're going to, you're going to throw that one rock and break a bunch of different windows. Right. Yeah. Um, no, it's true. Or homelessness or, um, any of the things, but it all kind of comes down to the economy and the sustainability of, um, these communities, especially when it comes to, um, just being Coloradans and serving Coloradans. And so I guess that's part of the reason that, um, I don't know if it's frustration, um, more than a little bit. Uh, I wish that we really had time to have a, an in-depth conversation. I would love to see any candidate, um, do an, an hour on our debate on water. I, I just, I don't think that, I don't think anybody know understands it enough. No, no I, I think that would be a huge ask. And to be fair, that's at least with the federal candidates, they'll get in there and then they have staff that should know all this stuff. So they hire the experts on it. Like you, state, Brian? state is like not as much that that's where I'd like to see it a little more like understanding from the state candidates on some of these issues, because they don't have that institutional knowledge. They don't have the, the, the staff is great, but it's not like, you know, Washington, D.C., where you have somebody that's been working on water for 30 years that you can hire. Well, and talk about like state staff they're being young, underpaid. They're young. Underpaid. They're just they're they're using it basically as a paid internship to yeah. to do whatever's next and um, whatever they want to do. Um, they get burned out really, really quickly. Um, there's a lot of turnover. Um, and so I don't know if that's the most effective way to, to build a deeper bench. So that's really what's driving uh, what we're trying to do with the Action 22 Academy on uh, governance policy and leadership. All right. So we do have a couple things coming up. Um, one is we've got our board meeting this week. We're doing a membership appreciation reception um, in the uh, afternoon at Walters Brewery in yep. Pueblo. Um, at 3.30? At 3.30. Okay. Um, yeah, from 3.30 to 5.30, I think, is when we're doing that. So it's just that happy hour. Um, if you come um, 
we're, we're going to have some prizes there. We're going to connect you, um, on the membership side. Micah wants to visit with you, um, on that side of it. Um, but also because we do not endorse candidates, but we do support members who are running for office, action 22 members who are running for office will get an opportunity to, uh, say a few words and introduce yourself at this reception. So we want you to come down and that way, if you're still wondering, then you're going to get an opportunity to, to talk to them in a little more depth on, on some of these things. Now, we know we've we've planned this at a kind of an odd time because the primaries are Tuesday. They're a week from uh, when we're taping today. You're not going to hear this for a few days, but they're uh, in Colorado. They're um, next June, Tuesday. Yeah, next June, Tuesday, June 28th, I yeah, think. Yep. Is it June 28th? Next Tuesday. Um, they are going to be um, so, uh, but they're mail-in ballots. Um, and so I think a lot of people have already mailed theirs in, so there's not going to be a lot of, um, swaying anybody to a particular way of thinking, or, or there's not going to be a lot of politicking, but it's going to be an opportunity for you to get a chance to really ask these questions because what happens that's interesting that as soon as the primary is done, whoever was in the primary that lost is turn around is going to influence some of what goes on after that. That's just how it works. So, yeah. um, this will be a good opportunity for for that exchange on that. What else? I think that's it. Um, Senator Bennett's staff will be in Friday morning as well. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Hopefully this goes up Tuesday, so if you're in the Pueblo area, uh, we're meeting at the downtown where the VSO, the state VSO is based out of, and county VSO, I believe. I can get the address if you stand by me. But anyway, um, it's a Veterans Roundtable with Senate, Senator Bennett's staff from 10, 10 to 11.30, and then after that, I'll shoot over to the board meeting. So, and then we have that board meeting. Um, what else, Micah? That's it for me. That's it for you? You're going to a golf tournament. Yeah, Micah's going oh, up yeah. to Breckenridge to CML tomorrow um, to hang out with all of our, our buddies. We were listing off who we know that's going to be up there. And that list got big real fast. <laughs> that list got big really fast. We have some of our folks who aren't going to be there. But, um, oh, but while we're saying that, can I just take a second to give a shout out to Gigi Dennis? Um, Gigi Dennis was a former secretary of state for Colorado, but she has gone back to her, um, her hometown, her home community, and that's in the San Luis Valley. And she's done nothing but serve her community ever since then. I am a huge fan. We are all huge fans Mm -hmm. of Gigi. Um, she's constantly trying to figure out, um, how to do all of the things that make it how to overcome all the things that make it rough to, to be a local government in, um, in rural Colorado. Um, but she's going to be up there. So you're going to, you're going to get to see her next, but, uh, and we have a phone call with her later this afternoon, but she is an amazing servant leader. Um, and she inspires us all the time. So I just wanted to give a shout out to her. Um, so I think that's it. If you have any questions, um, about action 22, if you're not currently a member, you need to email us at show at action22.org and Micah is going to get in touch with you on how to join disclaimer. Uh, I'm tired. That's my disclaimer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Action 22 does not support or endorse candidates, uh, but we do support our members who are running for office in a way of giving them a platform to speak. So any member of action 22 that's running for any office 
This is an open invitation to come on our show and tell us what you're about. Maybe talk about some of those solutions. You got to take as long as you want. If you want to be here for four hours, we'll sit here for four hours. You're talking solutions all yep. day long. And then um, the views and opinions expressed on making action happen do not necessarily reflect the position of Action 22 or its board. The opinions are those of the hosts and guests. So that's... That, we're going to cut to Guillermo. We're going to cut to Guillermo, but before we do that, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening, so um, I need to hear what your solutions are on water so that we can uh, see if they stack up against what James Eklund is saying, Um, and we'll see you at the board meeting on Friday. Um, Thanks, everybody. Welcome back, everybody. I've got uh, Guillermo Lombari from AT&T. Oh, my gosh. Cut. Can we start over? Guillermo Lombardi. Just call me Guillermo. Guillermo Lamborghini. Guillermo Lamborghini. We've got Guillermo Lamborghini from AT&T. Sorry. I have to, like, switch sometimes, you know what I mean? Because I have to go from one to another to another. It's, it takes. I'm not as fast as some people in this. Totally. Welcome back. We're here with Guillermo, who is a representative from AT&T and also a member of the Action 22 board. And we just got done with a press conference where we got to announce this wonderful, tremendous gift from AT&T for a project that we're working on in the San Luis Valley that expands access to broadband uh, through a digital equity lens. We have been working on this project for the last six months, and the gift that AT&T gave us of 200 laptops um, to be given out throughout the San Luis Valley was the one of the big first steps in actually delivering on a promise to expand access to broadband in the San Luis Valley. So we wanted to have Guillermo talk about it and talk a little bit about the program and how AT&T is doing this and why and all of that. So thanks for being here. Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, Sarah. Um, Really happy to be here today. So excited uh, at the opportunity to award these laptops uh, to the uh, San Luis uh, Development Group, Resource Group, uh, for them to be, and to work along with you guys to give these out to a lot of the folks that are in need down here. Um, you know, I really appreciate the work that you're doing um, with others and how thoughtful it's been at the approach that you're taking um, when it comes to the digital divide and what are the gaps um, and opportunities to help bridge those gaps in, in, in when it comes to connectivity. And, uh, you know, one of the big pieces that, you know, we've talked about this is, you know, there's the opportunity for folks, uh, you know, first is can they connect? And if they can, there's a question of if they have the devices or the digital literacy uh, to be able to actually use those devices. So we're just really excited to add to one of those components, which would be the device part. And this uh, partnership that, that we're doing is through Human IT. Um, Human IT is a large national organization, nonprofit organization that refurbishes uh, uh, laptops and other devices and then uh, is able to award those out. So uh, we partnered with them nationally and uh, we, I believe, gave more above 3,000 laptops nationally. And uh, so far, so far right. as, as a first phase. And um, but when we got word of, of uh, that these laptops were available, this first phase, you know, I immediately thought of Action 22 and the great work that you're doing down here. And so luckily gave you a call and, and it, was a, <laughs> it was a very opportune moment to make the connection. 
um, and we were able to submit an, uh, you know uh, something for for the for you guys uh, right away um, because it lined up so well and we got these 200 laptops which is just phenomenal and again just excited to be able to be here to make an announcement around that this was really um, so already today uh, after the uh, official announcement we've given some out um, so we just finished giving them out to a, a couple of girls who were um, still in summer school programs but uh, they didn't have the laptop so they'd been going to the library and doing all that but this is not going to be just for students it's for um, people who are trying to access telehealth um, work from home all of those things so this is really incredibly the impact this isn't just one group or one dynamic this is really a big deal yeah our hope is that it gets you know these laptops are going to get to people that need them for whatever it may be um, i think you know traditionally we immediately go to students but yes absolutely there's a huge need especially in rural communities like the san luis valley to have access to telehealth um, also for uh, folks to be able to apply for jobs online yeah. Um, you you know in just for general use you know I think that so much of our lives is now connected and, and we access it through the internet and uh, when you have to drive long distances in, in rural communities like that if you're able to do some of those things through um, the internet or through a device I think it makes people's lives uh, a lot better and it brings a lot of value for them to just you know be able to do that the, those uh, normal things that maybe some of us in the more urban environments where we have more access we we might take for granted because it's a lot more accessible. Yeah. So one of the things about this particular program that I was really excited about, um, initially you said laptops and I thought these big Dell computers and I thought, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, we're talking about a digital literacy mm -hmm. and a digital gap and how are we going to do this? But I should have known this was very well thought out uh, um, with human IT that these are Chromebooks. Mm -hmm. They come with instructions, which are very simple to set up. Yep. Um, most of the time, um, all these the kids who are in school and are using Chromebooks in school, that's a lot of the program, so they already know how to do that. But it comes with a year with, of tech support for free. Yeah, it comes, it comes with a one-year warranty, one year of tech support. It has all your basic uh, softwares that you need for every day, you know, like your office and all yeah. that. It's already installed in it, ready to go. Um, and, and like you said, the, the Chromebooks are made for, they're much more user-friendly yeah. uh, and intuitive, and it's not something where you need a lot of, of someone to you know, provide a lot of education to be used, which, is, uh, which I think will be very helpful ultimately for whoever they end up, whoever gets up getting them. Yeah. And I think that, that one-year component of someone, you know, if they have any issues they can reach out to, hopefully will also help alleviate um, some of that learning curve Right, um, right. As they, they try to use them. Well, we're really excited about this. We've uh, we had so many people that were interested in in this, and I think it made a lot of people who are trying to really genuinely address that digital divide and that digital equity piece, especially with the literacy part of it. You know, you can give broadband away, um, you can do all these other things, but if you don't have a device. Like, what difference does that make? Um, and especially as we see people trying to access um, benefits or even trying to register their kids in school, um, a phone is great, but there's a lot of things you can't do um, specifically with that. So we're really excited about this. Um, so just really quick, um, I want to give a shout out to your boss and then the action or the, the AT&T team who've all been involved in trying to get this done. So 
Roberta sure. and all yeah, of them. So, uh, yeah, so Roberta Robinette is our state president. Um, and she's, uh, she's from Pueblo. She yeah. is. She is. And she's so wonderful. She, yeah, and uh, she is, is our leader here in the state of, of our external legislative affairs teams. And I'm on her team as her director, state director. And then Timmy Aguilar, who is uh, our uh, public affairs uh, lead, mm-hmm. and she leads all our public affairs efforts for the state. So she really helped us in pulling everything together and worked with you directly to make sure this announcement came together this week. And so she's extremely, very instrumental in, in making these sort of announcements and, and things happen. So yeah. really grateful for, for all of them and the work they're doing. Well, thanks, Guillermo. Thanks for coming all the way down here to do this, to be a part of this, but also just your involvement. Um, I know that you're involved with other organizations like Action 22, but we value you so much on the board and that you're listening and that you're engaged and see what a tremendous impact. Just doing that part of it has made you got to feel proud of this. No, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's uh, it's exciting when, you know, you're able to connect the dots, right? And, you know, I've I think I'm going on three years as part of uh, you the board are, here at Action you 22. Are. And, you know, uh, just being able to leverage the relationships and the connections for such a positive cause and uh, something that's so well aligned with what AT&T does. Um, you know, we've, uh, in two, 2021, we, the company uh, globally or nationally um, committed $2 billion uh, from 21 to invest from 2021 to 2023. Uh, to help um, bridge the digital divide. And this is just one example of yeah. the way that we're trying to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about, um, you know, being able to recognize the value and the relationships that we have. And for AT&T, uh, Action 22 is an extremely valuable relationship. We, we recognize uh, the importance of it. Um, we also recognize how important Southern Colorado and the 22 counties you represent are to the, the state as an entirety and, and the value that that brings. So that's why that's why we're here. Um, that's why we thought of you when, when the opportunity came <laughs> Thank up. You. Thank so, you. Yeah, so we're just we're just excited that we're finally here and the laptops are here. And, and, and we're, we're rolling. Just thinking. really quick before we jump off, will mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about FirstNet? Um, that it's unrelated to this, um, this gift today, but really um, FirstNet is a very, very important component in how we operate in, uh, especially in rural communities. So we talked just really quick about uh, FirstNet. Sure, absolutely. So FirstNet is a uh, is a, a program that was it actually started back in 9/11. So after 9/11, um, you know, folks in, in the public safety community recognized that there was a lot of network and communication issues around that incident, uh, that tragic incident, and it recognized that everybody was trying to speak to each other on different radio waves and on different systems and so there was not an ability for all the agencies involved that were responding to communicate so at that time um the first net uh, after that um and after that was recognized the first net authority was created under the commerce department and the and what they decided to do this was a, a national group who brought you know made up of public safety experts and actual public safety people that are out there every day responding to right. incidences and they decided that the best thing to do was to build a nationwide network that was dedicated primarily primarily and solely to first responders and so this is a contract that 7 2017 AT&T was awarded uh, we had to go through an RFP process um, and it's a 25-year contract and in that contract uh, we we are committed by contractually committed and overseen by the FirstNet authority 
um, to ensure that we build out this network throughout the entire country. And a part of that commitment is building in rural areas right. and bringing connectivity to a lot of the places that have never had it to support public safety. And so, uh, you know, we, we feel very passionate about that. We've been working very uh, hard on that for the last five years. So today, this is not today, but this year is the fifth, fifth right. anniversary of FirstNet's opt-in. Um, at the time, Governor Hickenlooper signed uh, to uh, opt-in the state of Colorado into the FirstNet program. And so that allowed us to move forward with the investment um, to, to start bringing and delivering on that promise. And so it's been amazing because um, I think it, I think personally is, is probably the best, if not one of the best public-private partnerships ever done and, and, and one of the largest ever done because uh, I think when this is all said and done, it's close to a $100 billion investment yeah. throughout the country. And it's not, it's not funded by taxpayer dollars. We basically, AT&T as part of our RFP said, we will put up our network and we will put up a certain amount of investment. We'll run it, we'll maintain it, we'll sell it because we we have to actually go out and sign, agencies have to sign on, it's not mandatory. right? And so we have to hit certain goals as part of our contractual agreement. And then the government said, we're gonna give you a spectrum, this premium spectrum to build out this network. And in our world, spectrum is, is gold. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that's it's it's auctioned off for millions of dollars. Right. So it's very, very valuable. So it was a, an exchange. Uh, and 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 um, as this program grows and as more people sign on, um, the, a lot of the revenue that's brought in um, and that goes back to this uh, first net authority will be reinvested in the network. In the network. So it'll create a great um, model to continue to to fund uh, innovation in the network. And so we've done amazing work in Colorado. Uh, you know, we've partnered with some great rural providers just here in, in the in the uh, southern eastern part of, Col of Colorado. We've put in uh, close to 38 new sites down here yep. through our rural providers. Uh, we've done a lot of them ourselves um, in counties here like Alamosa, um, in uh, Mineral County and, uh, and others in the San Luis Valley. Um, some of it, like really, you know, big ones that aren't necessarily here in Southern Colorado, but we're the first carrier to have uh, full coverage throughout Glenwood Canyon, right? Which has uh, was an extremely difficult situation yes. because of the way it was designed. Um, you know, unfortunately, Spectrum does not go through through rock. Go through rock. <laughs> so, so and we, iron. Yeah, yeah. So we are the first carrier to have um, full uh, coverage throughout the entire canyon. And that was done because of the partnership with the FirstNet Authority and this contractual agreement right. that allowed these projects to be viable. Um, and so, you know, we have over 100 agencies here in Colorado that have signed on to FirstNet. Um, agencies of all sizes, large uh, cities uh, in the urban areas, even volunteer, you know, volunteer fire right. departments with two or three firefighters so it's accessible to everybody and uh we're just we're like we're proud I mean, yeah obviously you can hear i talk about it all yes. day uh we're proud to be able to serve those that group of of uh, in individuals and serve you know folks that serve us all the time so to be able to work on a program that helps them stay safe helps them stay connected it's just a, a real honor for us, and so we're really happy to be able to do that. We love it. That's why I wanted you to talk about FirstNet. I think uh, it's not well understood if you're not in the industry or if you're not a part of that. And so, um, and you're right. 
um, I started with Action 22 uh, five years ago, and this is one of the first things that were brought to us by your predecessor. And so I know that um, when it was like this part of it and managing all this was handed off to you, and you've done a beautiful job because it's not always easy to sit down and explain what it is and what you're doing. Um, but, uh, and again, big, huge applaud applause because that's this is what a public-private partnership should look like and you guys have done a beautiful job with it so thank you very much and everybody's safer as a result so there's yep. everybody's safer as a result um so thanks for being with us today um if you have questions about the pro the project in the san luis valley and the um the laptops and all of that it's really easy to find out more at giving at action22.org again that's giving at action22.org so thanks for being with us thank you sir all thanks right. for having me this episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 Southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, healthcare, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.